morning, good evening, and good afternoon. I hope everyone's been having a fantastic week. It's been very interesting for me, I gotta say. I mean, through watching a lot of movies, and yeah, I think I watched a lot more movies than I'm used to this week. It's been pretty fun. So, uh, this episode is, of course, going to be like our rest of our episodes, but we're going to be talking more about spoiler movies and some of the TV shows we've watched. So, if you haven't watched any of the TV shows like The Last of Us this past week or seen Megan, uh, Avatar, or even Puss in Boots The Last Wish, I would kind of either skip this episode or you just listen through if you don't mind spoilers. Anyway, let's go ahead and get started. And as always, we're going to be talking about comics. So uh, starting off with Marvel, we're going to be talking about Immortal X-Men issue number 10. Now, if you remember the last time we talked about Immortal X-Men, we basically left off with Sinister killing most of the Quiet Council. So Xavier, Emma, Frost, Exodius, Hope, and so on and so forth. So this issue uh, starts with Sinister escaping after killing most of the Quiet Council, as previously stated, and has been planning something for a while. Now, the rest of the X-Men came back after hearing about this attack to try to resurrect their fallen comrades, and more importantly, try to resurrect Hope, because without Hope, they didn't have anything. They are basically gambling with being able to bring her back, since she is basically the catalyst of everything that they've had so far. So after successfully bringing her back, uh, they were able to bring back the others through uh, their backups. Now, um, everyone is kind of mad at Sinister, and actually the only reason he was on the Quiet Council was because of his uh, cloning capabilities and his archives, which was never going to be a permanent solution because once they outgrew those things, They were going to kick him out. Anyway, uh, they track him down to Alaska and to a lab that they had previously destroyed before, but Sinister rebuilt it in secret. So all the X-Men are there, A-Team, B-Team, trying to stop Sinister, uh, fighting off all his clones. And he's waiting for this battery to charge. And once it's charged all the way, he basically tries to escape, but of course he doesn't. He is captured, taken to the council and is judged for his actions and is placed into their prison within the island um now he now one thing about this comic is it's narrated throughout this entire issue by xavier and at the end after everything has been said and done everyone's celebrating um, Destiny, uh, who is Mystique's girlfriend and a uh, basically has the power of precog, she's able to see the future, tells Mystique that they have to leave. And I'm wondering to myself, why? And it's revealed at the end when Xavier takes out his helmet that he's been wearing this entire time, actually for a long time, it's revealed that he has a sinister crystal. And that's absolutely crazy because he's also talking to another Xavier who's in suspended animation. So this has shown that Xavier has been a sinister clone, and that is absolutely nuts. Now, I've stated this before, that Xavier hasn't been really acting like himself ever since this whole Kuroka Nation started, and it's insane. I mean, I've noticed a few things, and a lot of people have noticed how uh, sinister Xavier has kind of been acting weird like a villain, and it's been like people have been blaming the writers, but if this has been the buildup, for this event, putting in these seeds for years, 
brilliant job. Good God, that was brilliant. Because now we're uh, basically questioning ourselves. How long has Charles Xavier been a sinister clone? Has he been that way ever since Kuroka came up or so on and so forth? But anyway, I cannot wait for uh, the issue to continue because this is going into the Sins of Sinister event, which honestly is getting off to a fantastic start. So much better than what Dark Web has in store. So I'm excited to see what comes next, and I hope that Spider-Man gets this level of build-up and writing, because if Zeb Wells can pull this off, I will retract everything I've ever said about that man and his writing capabilities. And moving on, we're going to be talking about Dark Web X-Men issue number three. And I gotta say, this issue starts with Jean and Madeline fighting as she snapped out of her, um, I want to say stupor, like trance, mental trance. She's revealed that she's been trying to steal the memories of Cable. Basically, a little history. So Madeline Gray, as stated before, is a clone of Jean Gray. After Jean Gray died with the whole Dark Phoenix event, Sinister clone Jean, which uh, became Madeline Pryor, she and Scott basically uh, got together in a relationship because he didn't know she was a clone, had a baby, and that baby was Cable. He was sent to the future because of this virus and so on and so forth. It's very complicated. I won't get into um, much of the details because that's an entire episode in itself. And actually, Marvel did a... Um, just so you know, a video on it. They actually do it a lot better than I could. Anyway, uh, so something happened where they were able to raise... Uh, Jean Grey came back. She was able to raise, uh, in the future, a uh, baby cable, in a sense. And during the comic book events of the past five years, a younger version of cable came back, killed his older self, and uh, was on uh, Kuroka for a little bit. Like I said, it's very complicated time travel, timey-wimey. Anyway, uh, she wanted those memories because Cable is her child. Technically not genes, but I mean, they're clones. Again, very complicated. It's comics. What are you going to do about it? Anyway, uh, so she's basically looking for those memories because, I mean, she wants the memories of her kid. So after fighting, uh, she basically, Jean Grey snaps magic out of her trance and says that she surrenders. Magic trusts her and she goes off to try to find uh, Scott and his brother, Havoc. Uh, they have a heart-to-heart -heart where Jean gives Madeline her memories that she wants. They reconcile. Madeline calls the X-Men to be by her side. She and Havoc make up. And she and the other X-Men get ready to get all the demons back to limbo. Meanwhile, while this is happening, Forge is doing his best to handle all the demons since it seems he's the only person in New York that actually cares. Besides, of course, Miles Morales and Miss Marvel. I mean, I gotta say, I'm not really a big Forge fan, but this dude's just hilarious. I love him. Uh, he was basically sending the refugees that were in the X-Men building to uh, Jersey, which I loved because one of the dudes complained, like, do we really have to go to Jersey? And he's like, well, is that or getting eaten alive? He's like, fine, we'll go to Jersey. <laughs> True New Yorkers till the end. Anyway, uh, he basically is spraying vines of Kuroka around New York because uh, Limbo had a pact that they wouldn't attack Kuroka. And with those vines being of Kuroka, technicalities, if you will. Anyway, um, they basically end the comic with Madeline being by the X-Men. And I gotta say, it's very interesting. I like how they explored the damage done by Sinister. 
and it's going to make things interesting considering the Goblin Queen is now on the X-Men side. So how this will affect Ben since there's still an, another Spider-Man issue to come, I have no idea. It should be interesting and we'll see how well Zeb Wells keeps up with his quality of writing. Anyway, uh, moving on. So just so you know, there is no DC comic this week because I don't know. The DC has been lacking in the quality of comics late. So we're just going to continue with Marvel. We're going to be continuing with Alien issue number five. As we left off before with issue number four, the hybrid and the aliens went to the other refugees to basically kill them. Uh, once they were let in, because the hybrid still had the tracker uh, and they didn't know that the person who was given the tracker is dead, they were basically making quick work of all the survivors, killing them and all that stuff. And it was found out that this hybrid is pretty tough. It headshot didn't work and kill it. Uh, the synthetics uh, got inside and everyone was basically dead except for one death kid. Death, not death, death kid. Uh, they begin to escape when one of the critically injured survivors set up a nuclear bomb. The hybrid survives this and goes off to find the alien queen and helps her get off of the rubble. And I gotta say, it's incredible to see how well this hybrid works. I mean, good lord, this thing's an upgrade. Anyway, the synthetics are horrified and the male one is absolutely ticked off, uh, saying that it's not worth saving everyone's life considering that the kid will be dead from nuclear radiation. And yeah, he's got a point, but it turns out from scans that he is actually not affected by the radiation. And it turns out that he is what they've been looking for. Because remember, they're sent there to get this biological that will help a planet because it's going nuclear. So apparently the survivors before took the biological and their descendants have it in their bloodstream, which means he's not affected by anything nuclear. Lucky kid. Anyway, uh, they basically activate the beacon to return home. They get to a secure area, and one of the synthetics goes to try to see it poke around, but it's destroyed by an alien. Uh, they basically are surrounded by the alien queen. The male synthetic tells the, them to grab the kid and go while he faces down all the aliens. Uh, they get up to the stairs, finds that they're surrounded by a bunch of eggs in the building that they decided to choose to stay at, and the female synthetic basically gives the kid a pistol, asking in sign language if he knows how to use it. He says yes. The male synthetic comes back looking absolutely battered, pushes the kid off the balcony towards the ground, but he is saved by the alien vines, but is also surrounded by eggs and the alien queen, and it looks like the male synthetic and the queen communicated somehow and now uh, he is about to kill the female synthetic because he blames her for sacrificing all their friends for the lives of humans and the comic ends there because why not let's make this five issue series a six but honestly i gotta say this comic run hasn't been that bad it's been pretty good i've been actually enjoying it i like how they're adding to the lore and i like how they're adding how the synthetics which are usually seen as either evil or close-minded actually having some personalities. Uh, like I said, I'm very excited to see where this goes and hopefully issue number six is amazing. And that's it for comics. We're going to be moving on to TV shows. And to start us off, I'm going to be doing a spoiler review of episode one of The Last of Us. Now, before we get started, I want to say how amazing Sony did with this adaptation. I mean, like I said previously, they broke the mold 
when it came to this adaptation. And a lot of people are already saying, why couldn't we get this level of dedication to our adaptation of either a movie, a TV show from this video game? And I mean, if you look at other TV shows like Resident Evil, it's kind of like if they only went with the formula that was laid down in front of them, it would have been successful. And this proves it. So one thing I loved is how they translated the story into the small screen. And with the first episode, they did fantastic. I mean, I know they changed a few things here and there, especially with Sarah getting more screen time. But I thought that was brilliant, especially showing the world before the plague. Because if you guys remember in the TV show, we only get that one night. It starts off with them watching TV, then the infection breaks out, and so on and so forth. With this, we actually get to see a little bit about the world beforehand. Seeing the anticipation, seeing that build-up, especially with that grandma in that wheelchair. Woo! That was pretty good build-up. It was really great. I'm super excited. Now, again, I really like that the outbreak didn't happen in 10 minutes. I liked how the actress really had good chemistry with Pedro Pascal. I really did. It was really great. They casted really well. One thing I did, um, one thing that was kind of funny and a lot of players can agree with me is that the thing that sucks is we know what's going to happen. We know who's going to die, who's going to live, but seeing it played out in front of our eyes and showing our parents or friends, if they're especially if they're not gamers, it's really great. And to show how well video games can be at storytelling. And one thing I loved especially was the terrifying moments. Oh, it just made me feel like I was back playing the game and it really made me want to watch, uh, not watch, play The Last of Us Part 1. Almost. I'm not spending 60 bucks. Anyway, I really liked how refreshing it was to see zombies or not zombies as scary, especially after the disaster of a fiasco The Walking Dead was. Uh, the old woman transforming slowly was great. And uh, one thing I really loved was how after the time skip, we get uh, Joel and Tessa. And I gotta say, it was really interesting seeing them older, slower, taking damage. Like in the game, okay, I take damage, I'm just gonna pour something, heal up. But in the TV show, it's not the same. And I really uh, find it interesting. One thing that they changed that I thought was pretty cool was the fact that Joel was already trying to get a car to visit his brother where in the game, he was after those guys because he was trying to recover a stolen weapons cache. Uh, the introduction to Ellie was a bit different, where in the game, she was for the Fireflies, already a part of them. And in the TV show, she was basically held prisoner because they were trying to confirm or not she was immune and to get them across the country. Uh, once uh, they got together, they started to head out. One thing I did like was the whole radio uh, interpretation. Like, hey, if you get uh, the 80s music, that means bad stuff was going to happen. And how the episode ended with an 80s song playing was pretty good. I didn't recognize the 80s song, so I had to ask my dad because, of course, he was an 80s baby. And one thing I did love as well was the fact that the actress who plays Ellie does an amazing job in acting like she did in the game. It's really great. And with how they show the dynamic of the episode one ending with uh, how he lost his daughter was pretty good. I'm very uh, weary about the next episode because I know exactly what's going to happen. And I'm wondering if it's going to play out the same or they might change a death scene 
and tweak it here too. Like I said, I'm looking forward to seeing how this story plays out and the reaction of my friends and family as they progress watching this great story. I'm going to give it a 10 out of 10 because really fantastic, really well done, and I hope this inspires others to make TV shows that are faithful. It's not that hard. It's written for you. <sighs> anyway, let's go ahead and move on to Vox Machina. Season 2 has dropped, and I gotta say, I'm definitely enjoying the show so far. I like the introduction of this uh, cabal of dragons coming forth and ruling the world, them having to face uh, other places to get these godlike weapons, and I'm excited. I mean, Vox Machina has always been great. Season 1 was fantastic, so I'm excited for Episode 4 and what craziness this world of Vox Machina will bring. Uh, another craziness is the Invincible Season 2 teaser dropped where they basically made fun of how long the show has been in production, talk about what they're gonna, uh, how they're going to release the show in 2023, and I really can't wait for it. I wonder if it's going to answer some questions that Season 1 finale left, like what's going to happen with Mark, with his father and his people, what's going to happen to Earth with everything that has been revealed. And most importantly, what's going to happen to freaking Mars since Mark is kind of responsible for all those guys getting infected. Anyway, super excited and wonder what's going to happen. Uh, moving on, the Animaniacs will be airing its third and final season of the reboot. And I gotta say, I really can't believe it's ending that soon. It feels like it just got back. And I mean, it could be because HBO is trying to bring back all its properties into one house. They may do another reboot where they have it under the Warner Brothers umbrella which, I mean, technically is, but under HBO Max. And I don't know what's going to be in store for Warners in the future, but I hope it's good. One thing I will say is if they bring it back again, I really hope they introduce some of the other characters because that's what made Animaniac so great with the original. It wasn't just the Warners and Pinky and the Brain. You had so many other people in there too. Anyway, uh, the Mandalorian uh, Season 3 trailer dropped, and I gotta say, it looks amazing. I'm really happy that they're finally going to show us a live-action Mandalore. I really think that Mando is going to be reuniting and uniting the Mandalorians under one banner, which makes sense because he is their king. And I wonder what's going to happen next, especially if it all connects to Thrawn. One thing I will say is I is that I think Bo-Katan will be the villain, or at least one of the villains, because she wants the Darksaber and will do anything to rule Mandalore. And I really hope that's the case because Mando can beat her up and knock her off that high horse she does not deserve to be on. Or she put herself on. I mean, seriously, this woman is responsible for so many deaths, starting with Death Watch, giving Maul the rise of power, basically ruling over Mandalore, then basically running away, uh, having the Empire take over, getting the Empire to back off of Mandalore, giving, uh, being given the Black Saber, by Sabim, and then losing it to uh, freaking Moff Gideon afterwards. Seriously, this woman does not to be does not deserve to be put in charge at all, at all. I really hope Mando puts her in her place, and then we can move on from her freaking high horse. Anyway, that's it for uh, TV shows. We're going to be moving on to movies, and uh, to start us off, the new Scream trailer dropped, and I gotta say, this looks like it's going to be a lot more fast paced than the others. The others followed the same formula. This uh, guy is going to stalk you in a small town. And it's going to be a slow buildup of who is, who's not. From this trailer, it looks like this is going to be a lot more fast paced. 
and this ghost face doesn't seem to be hiding at all. My guess this takes place during Halloween or some type of in-film slash uh, cosplay or whatever. I really think Gale is probably going to die or be severely injured from what the trailer looks. Then again, it could be just playing off. One thing I really liked was how they're taking full advantage of the New York setting it looks like. Again, being fast-paced, millions of people. And I'm just really hoping the connection isn't stupid. Because, let's be honest, I have no idea what the connection is going to be. I mean, the one thing that would make sense, and this is just me throwing out a theory, is if this is some type of cult obsessed with Ghostface. Especially for the in-movie movie slash. It would actually make sense. And of course, I'm going to be looking for the two possible killers. Because, let's be honest... In every Scream movie, except the third one, the killer's always in a pair. So excited, interested, and wondering what's going to come next. Like I said, I'm hoping for the whole cult angle because that would be really cool. Anyway, uh, this is going to be a spoiler review of Puss in Boots The Last Wish. So again, if you haven't seen the movie, please move on. Uh, so one thing I will say about the movie is how I loved how it took a dark tone. Really, really dark. At the beginning, I was kind of skeptical with the whole music number. But when death was introduced and blood was shown from Puss in Boots' head, wow, did this movie really start. And I gotta say, I really love the design of the hooded figure of death, him being a wolf and his choice of weapons being sickles. I thought that was fantastic. His entrances with the whistle really helped with the buildup. And uh, this movie benefited from other villains, Goldilocks and the Three Bears. I really liked how the trailers thought uh, made you think that they were going to be throwaway villains, but they were actually pretty good and not one-dimensional. I was really uh, gladly mistaken with me thinking they were throwaway villains and showing that they had unique personalities. I really liked how Goldilocks uh, was bickering with her adopted brother. That was hilarious. The family dynamic was really good too. And the other villain, Jack Horner, was pretty good. I've actually never heard of his nursery rhyme before or fairy tale. So I had to ask my dad about it, who vaguely remembered it. So it was pretty good and refreshing uh, seeing somebody from the fairy tales that no one recognized, but he was already established. One thing I really liked about Jack Horner was he... Uh, was a villain being bad just because he wanted to. Uh, movies uh, now have a villain that's very sympathetic, relatable on the reasoning on why they are bad, but Jack is not one of those villains. And again, it was refreshing to see that. Uh, one thing I did love was how this movie was a lot more mature with them being able to curse at times. They really snuck a lot of adult jokes without it being overwhelming. And I can really tell that everybody had some fun with this movie, especially with the voice acting. Antonio Banderas looked like he was having a blast with being able to do a bunch of stuff. I did like how the story was able to mimic um, uh, Smiles and Morales, especially with the art style. I thought that was fantastic. I liked how uh, fluid and smooth it was as well. Uh, one thing that I liked about the story itself was how it was dealing with Puss's own morality and what his life, last life wanted to be. Because remember, his whole point of this entire movie was trying to get his wish granted to get his lives back. One thing I really liked was the introduction of his therapy dog, uh, Perito. And I really liked how he wasn't annoying and helped the story progress. I liked how uh, Kitty Softpaws was there as well. The dynamic of her and Puss was really good. And the ending was really great too, especially how uh, they teased 
another Shrek movie. And one thing I really liked about the movie is how heartbroken I was when Goldie Roloks revealed that she was dragging her family across the world for this wish to get her original family back. And the bears stood by her even with this revelation because of how much they loved her. And of course in the end she realized she didn't need another family. And again, I thought it was pretty good. Uh, one thing I really liked was uh, the whole fight scenes with death. The first one with Puss being really scared. And at the second one where he actually fought. Even though he was going to lose, he stood his ground and showed that death uh, wasn't going to stop him. That he was not taking his life for granted anymore. And I thought that was pretty good. And I liked how death was like, okay, I only fought you because you were taking your life for granted. You're not anymore. So I'm just going to go ahead and leave because you're not fun. I liked it. It was like he had one goal to show him, hey, I'm coming for you because you've been taking advantage of everything. And now that you're serious about your life, we're good. I really hope he pops up again. Uh, it would be really cool. And I got to say, DreamWorks with some of these villains are just fantastic. Uh, anyway, I really liked, again, how uh, the Shrek universe seems to be getting bigger and bigger. And there was a lot of cameos from other Shrek characters and references that I just loved. Uh, I'll give this movie an easily 10 out of 10 for being fantastic. And like I said, I can't wait for the next one. I really hope they keep the art style because it's fantastic. Uh, moving on to Avatar, finally a spoiler review. And I gotta say, the introduction of uh, the kids in Avatar were pretty nice. It's really great how the movie tries to get you to know them, fall in love with them. And I really liked how when it came to Quartrids, uh, uh, the main villain, how they implemented how he came back. I liked it because one of the biggest things about the future and the cloning is that they basically took full advantage of it. Like, hey, we cloned all the soldiers before they took off just in case something happened. And hey... They used it. Uh, one thing I really liked was how they expanded the uh, Navi to uh, other tribes as well. I really liked, uh, one of the biggest things I really liked was how when the humans came back, they came back bigger, badder. And since there was a 10-year gap, they were ready for war this time. It wasn't just a colony where you have a few soldiers here and there. No, they were prepared because as after they come back, you have a little bit of a time skip. And you can see that they have a tra uh, trail system. They basically have a bunch of headquarters set up. They have a whaling industry and everything else. So they're prepared for war and have technology the Navi do not, which should be interesting. Uh, one thing that I will say is that I did like how they introduced Spider, who is Quartrus's son. I thought that was actually pretty cool because... It kind of gives him some um, brownie points for being human in a sense, especially since technically this isn't his kid. This is the original, the OG Quartz's kid, and he's just a clone with his memories. Uh, one thing I did like is the scenery from the movie, especially when we got to the water Navi. I thought that was fantastic. I really thought that they utilized the CGI really well. And remember, I saw this in IMAX 3D, so the graphics were just amazing. I will honestly never see the, any of the sequels if it's not in IMAX 3D. Because that's where it really shines and you're really able to see what James Cameron had in mind. One thing I did like, and even though the movie dragged a lot because of this, 
I appreciated it is that we were learning about the different cultures. And since these Navi were more pacifists, you knew exactly why. And their whole culture revolved about them being more peaceful than anything else. And I liked how when war got to them, they basically were more pacifists until they were threatened and put into a corner where they could not be anymore. One thing that's crazy, and if you think about it, the Quartus and his crew were not even on a military-esque grade vessel. They were basically on a huge shipping boat with soldiers, and their one goal was just to hunt these whale people to get the your I want to say brain juice to stop people from aging. And I'm, I was very curious about this. I was like, how did they find out this thing stops people from aging? Or how did they hunt these things in the first place? Since they have a very specific way to be hunted because of how they are always in, I want to say, um, herds and so on and so forth. One thing I will say is that uh, Kiri was interesting too. She is technically the daughter of of uh, Sigourney Weaver's character's avatar since it's not really I want to say revealed I did like how she was also connected to nature in a way where she was strong enough to control it and the final conclusion with uh Jake Sully and Quartress was really great the fact that during the movie Spider bonded with his dad to the point where he saved him at the end was pretty cool and crazy and Jake losing his son was nuts I'm really wondering how the next one is going to play, especially since this is supposed to be introducing the Fire Navi and that they're not supposed to be the good guys there, that they're supposed to be a lot more violent and might team up with the humans. I'm excited for it to see it in 2024, and I want to say that it's shorter because I really don't want to be in a four-hour movie or five-hour movie. They really need to cut it down, but I mean, it's James Cameron. I'm going to watch it anyway. I'm going to give this movie an 8 out of 10 just because it just brings you along for a fantastic journey and introduces you to what cinema is supposed to be. Anyway, uh, moving on, I'll be talking about Megan. Like I said, a lot of movies this week. And this is going to be another spoiler review. Now, when it came to watching Megan, I was expecting it to be kind of bad. I was not expecting to enjoy the movie. So, I mean, for what it is, it's really great. I did like how they took the whole killer AI angle and made it work where the remake of Child's Play could not. I really like they went with this adaptive AI where they're supposed to be taking care of kids and they used a child of tragedy, especially with the main character's parents dying in a recent crash. I really liked how the uh, basically the little girl became reliant on the doll to the point where if it was taken away, she felt super stressful and it made you really sympathize with the character. I did really find it funny how this made most of the adults very stupid in this movie, especially with them working on an AI. And I gotta say the most stupidest character of them all has to be the aunt. She is very, very unbearable for most of this movie. And she's very manipulative. And I'm there thinking out loud, why the heck is this woman being in charge of putting an adaptive AI? And she's like, oh yeah, I forgot to put some barriers so it doesn't do stuff. Oh my God, I didn't put any parental controls. And it's like, no wonder Megan turns out to be so evil and kills people. And the entire movie is basically her focusing on her own needs 
even manipulating the little girl's emotions to do it. And it's just absolutely insane. And you're thinking to yourself, how does this person miss the most basic stuff on not to do with an adaptive AI? And the funny thing is, she's like, oh my God, why are you doing this? And I'm thinking to myself, didn't you make this AI self-learn? You didn't think it would learn a few extra stuff since you didn't add any barriers? Like I said, it just made the adults seem like really, really stupid. One thing at this point was I was really rooting for the doll to kill the aunt. I'm like, all right, you, you can do it. Just do it already. Put it out of this misery and we can continue with the movie. And I mean, all the kills to that point were basically the doll's interest, Megan's interest to protect Katie and uh, basically evolving its own protocols. The one kill, although that didn't make sense, was killing the employer. Uh, I forgot what his name is, um, but it was very interesting for her to kill him because he was like in charge of approving the project and getting other Megan dolls out there in the world. And it made sense for her maybe to secure him and make sure he was safe. So if anything were to happen with uh, herself or Katie, she can transfer herself to another Megan doll. Like I said, it was very weird for her to kill him. I did like the whole dance thing. I thought that was pretty cool. And uh, I did like the ending where it was basically robot versus robot. And it didn't really go overboard with the deaths. Uh, I did find it funny how it left the aunt's assistants alive. I really don't see why it didn't just kill them right then and there. So it didn't... Uh, leak that they called the police because their killer AI was out. Like I said, it was okay for what it is. And I loved how everyone was like, oh my God, this adaptive AI with learning capabilities is finally dead because we destroyed its body. And you're thinking to yourself, why didn't anyone worry because this thing could transfer via Wi-Fi? I mean, come on people, really? Anyway, it's I know it sets up for the sequel. Um, I'm, I'm excited for it. I mean, for what it is, I know the movie is going to be coming out in 2025, and they're calling this movie 2.0. I wonder if they're going to go the whole child's play around where people don't believe that the killer AI went killer AI. Who knows? I'm going to give it a 7.5 for actually being enjoyable. And not to mention the child actresses for both Megan and Katie just blew it out of the park. Usually you see a child actor in a horror movie and you're like, eh, they're probably going to ruin the movie. But that wasn't the case here, and I loved it. Next is the next movie I saw, which is how I got reincarnated as a slime, the movie. And while I did enjoy it, I was very much disappointed with it as well. Now, it was enjoyable to where it felt like it was an extended episode more than it was a movie. And one thing I hated about it was there was absolutely no stakes. There was no danger. So basically the movie follows an ogre soldier who was trying to get back to the village when it learned it was attacked, but they were intercepted, basically killed, except for one person who turned out to be the brother of some of the main characters on the show. And uh, basically uh, they meet up in the future where uh, they're all trying to get to Tempest uh, because the kingdom that this one ogre's from uh, basically has some poison in the water that keeps coming back. Princesses uses a tiara to dissipate the poison, but also she absorbs some of it. Rimuru shows up, cures the poison, uh, saves the day, and basically that's the movie. Rimuru shows up, fixes whatever problems come by, and yeah, pretty much. 
no one else really does anything. Except in the end where um, Benny Maru and his brother are fighting and then Benny Maru basically goes all out. And like I said, there wasn't really that many stakes. I mean, heck, Rimuru basically solved, oh, this was the villain. I'm going to play with my food and fixes it. That's the problem with this movie is the fact that they have so many characters that are so powerful that any problem comes up, it's an instant fix. That's why I said this really felt like an extended episode more than a movie. In other anime movies, there's some real danger that these characters can't face. Like, look at uh, Konosubo. The whole movie for that, none of them could instantly fix the problem. They had to come up with a creative way to destroy the main monster at the end. And if you look at Dragon Ball Super, Superhero, these guys fought against people that were just as powerful as them at times. And the main villain was super powerful. In this movie, there wasn't any of that. It was just, oh my god, fix. That's it. Like I said, that's the one thing I really didn't like about this movie was that it just wasn't any real danger, not really anything affecting them, and nothing really came full circle. Everyone had a happy ending. I will say that the jokes were enjoyable, especially Shion trying to feed everybody. That was always funny. And I feel like uh, the next season that they should have someone, an all-powerful villain that gives the basically Kingdom of Tempest a run for their money. Just like season two did. I'm honestly, I'm kind of torn with this movie. So I'm just going to give it a 6.5. It was good, but could have been so much better. Anyway, uh, moving on, we're going to be talking about video games now. So, Forspoken is releasing this month, and I have downloaded the demo, and I'm going to be playing it to see if it's any good. From the trailer, it seems okay, but considering it's a PlayStation exclusive, I'll give it a chance since this is the next major single-player game. So, who knows, maybe it'll be good. I have full faith in PlayStation. Anyway, talking about full faith... (laughs) Uh, support for Marvel's Avengers is ending after two years. It took two years for this game to die. Bravo, people. Bravo. The last update will be in September, and after that, everything will be closing from the store to multiplayer support. All the, uh, I want to say, like, the cosmetics will be free, or they'll be able to be purchased with in-game money and all those teases for the scarlet witch black panther and all that stuff were all for naught this game was not good and i really feel bad for anyone who played the game and leveled up just to see it go down the drain two years later and i hope that marvel focuses on quality quality games instead of the whatever the hell this was trying to be i hope that gardens of the galaxy gets a sequel though because that game was really good anyway uh marvel's midnight suns is getting a new dlc that features deadpool voiced by nolan north and i gotta say this seems like it's gonna be a spiritual successor to the deadpool game and i'm happy for it nolan north does a fantastic deadpool I'm really happy for Deadpool to be getting some of the spotlight in a video game, and I can't wait for his jokes. Uh, Destiny 2 Lightfall is going to be coming out next month, and I gotta say, I've been really shifting out of Destiny. It feels like it's been going downhill. It's been rinse and repeat for the longest time. A new evil shows up. Oh my god, you get a new power-up, and just, eh, it just doesn't feel the same, man. It feels like they're just circling the drain, waiting to work on their next game. 
And I really hope their next game is really good. Anyway, that's it for video games. Moving on to nerd theories. So if you haven't heard in the news, Microsoft is doing a lot of big layoffs, uh, laying off more than 10,000 people. So it's massive, uh, especially affecting their video game studios like 343. And I feel like Microsoft is probably going to be heading down the same road and turn into the next EA. And I say this because they're going to be focusing now more than ever on profit uh, since they spent a lot of money on buying these studios. And I feel like if these games don't turn out to be profitable or good, they're just going to be dis, uh, basically disbanding the studio and merging them with others if the game comes to a disappointment. I mean, look at Halo. 343 has been facing massive layoffs and I don't blame them at all. Halo Infinite has been disappointing, especially the in its latest uh, era in the Halo franchise. And it's just crazy. I mean, people have been begging for single player content for over two years because just the open world thing isn't working for Halo. They had something that they could be creative about, but dropped the ball. And the player base for Halo has dropped significantly. I mean, look at previous games like freaking Halo Reach. You still have a big audience for that because its single player was just phenomenal and you could do so much with their multiplayer, especially with Forge. Forge is a never ending uh, box of creativity for whatever you want to do. And that's that's just not Halo Infinite. And it's so disappointing. Like I said, I really think they're going to turn into the next EA. If your game doesn't do good, you're gonna sh we're going to shut you down and merge you. And, I mean, at this point, I wouldn't be surprised, especially with how many employees they're trying to lay off. Anyway, we're probably going to see how this is all going to react in the next year or so. Hopefully I'm wrong, but then again, if I'm not, it's going to be fun, especially with them trying to uh, finalize their stuff with Activision. And speaking of Activision, uh, Microsoft is still facing trouble finalizing that deal. And it's coming from the EU at this point because they have to prove to the European Union court that they are not a monopoly. And if they can't prove that they aren't, they're going to have to make some serious cuts uh, from the some studios, which could work in Sony's benefit because they could just pick up whatever is left over. So if they end up having to do that, I wonder what studios they're going to have to cut and what franchises they're going to have to let go of. Anyway, I'm excited to see what happens next, and who knows, maybe we'll um, learn that they'll be giving up some Overwatch or Blizzard. That would be interesting. Anyway, that's it for this week's episode. I hope you guys had a great time listening to it. I'm excited to see what's next, and honestly, next week I'll be doing a spoiler review of Episode 2 of The Last of Us. So I'll talk to you guys later. Sayonara, see you later, have a blessed one. Goodbye.